0: If I'm running a team, if I'm talking to a group of folks, I first need to think of, about who I'm speaking to or speaking with and the reason that I'm speaking to those folks. For instance, if I'm if I'm managing a team, I need to come up with a story that if I'm trying to bring them together to solve a problem or you know an issue, I want to bring them together with a story. I may use a story about when I first started out in the business and how I overcame an issue, a problem, a challenge that gives them a sense of how I work, how I approach things, uh, and, and, and can distill in my team, how we want to collectively approach that issue that we're working on. So at the, at it's very foundation, you need to know who your audience is and really why you're telling the story.
1: Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, your host and a coach here at Quantivos, and my guest today is Richard Rosser. Richard is a filmmaker, author, and a master storyteller, and he is out in film and TV country out in Los Angeles. So welcome, Richard.
0: Well, thank you very much, Brian. it's great to be here. What got you into story? Uh, my dad, uh, my dad was an amazing storyteller and his favorite medium was, was story jokes, you know, not, not, uh, not the classic sort of, you know, set up punchline, setup punchline, but those stories that go for two or three or five minutes. And sometimes end up with a punchline that's a groaner but it's not really about the punchline it's it's more about getting there and the journey and uh he just he absolutely loved telling jokes and he would he would treat these physicalities for the characters and voices and sound effects and just in and, and brought them to life and so from an early age listening to my dad uh i wanted to emulate that and when I went to college, I there was one film course. I mean, this is way back when, but you know, every, now every single university college has a film video department, and they had one film course. And I took that film course, and uh, and here we are. <laughs> That's so, right,
1: Richard. I think it's important, and I don't always do this with our guests, but I think it's important to give people a little more context about how some of the work that you've done. If you could just share a, a little bit of that, absolutely.
0: Well, so I, I, I ended up at NYU. I went to NYU uh, to their film department, and I uh, in grad school. I ended up graduating from there and getting a job in the commercial film business, doing commercials and music videos. And then I I, I felt the need to to get more into story because the stories that I was working on were very short in context, and uh, so I started doing narrative projects feature films and tv shows and somewhere along the way i was sort of belaboring the fact that i was traveling a lot we had young kids at the time and uh, the director i was working with said ah stop your belly ache and if you want to sleep in your own bed and never travel again just move to la and be in tv and uh so i told my wife and she said you know what let's try it and so we moved out to los angeles and we've been out here for uh well go on 15 or 20 years and uh so but I've worked on TV shows primarily in the past since I moved to LA. But I got very lucky uh, when I moved to Los Angeles. I worked with a project manager and producer, and uh, after the first project, they called me up and said, "Hey, we've got this kind of a weird project. It's it's called 24. Each episode is an hour in the day, and they're they're going to be presented in real time. It's not a reality show, but they're going to be presented in real time, which is kind of weird." And um, they're going to star this guy Kiefer Sutherland. And I said, "Wait a second, Kiefer Sutherland." At that point, Brian, he had he had quit acting, and he'd gone on the rodeo circuit, and he was he was roping and riding and doing barrel whatever whenever you do on the rodeo circuit. And he had decided, you know, they called him and said, "Hey, you want to be in this TV show?" And he said, "Sure, why not?" i never done. I I don't think he'd ever done TV at that point. It's just features. And uh, so I got involved in this project that was 24. And of course, that was before anyone knew, there, before there was a zeitgeist about it, uh, before it was anything, it was still in the script form. And so I worked on that. I've worked on uh, Grey's Anatomy, Chicago Med, the reboot of MacGyver, if you're a MacGyver fan, uh, and uh, at a show called This Is Us that uh, was a huge hit for NBC, as well as a whole host of projects that uh, films, movies, TV, that no one's ever heard of, and unfortunately we'll never see the light of day. So, Richard,
1: I want to come back to the thread for us, which is story. And in my coaching, I am regularly talking to my clients about story. And and the first myth I work to bust is well, I'm not a very good storyteller. Yeah. Because the truth is, and you tell me if I'm wrong, the truth is I think we are all incredibly good storytellers because we are telling ourselves stories 24 hours a day and we believe
0: them, they become our truths, they define our lives. They do, yes. My wife and I call it grinding. You know, when, when you've got a story, you've got an issue or a, or a Challenge or, you know, it's it's you latch onto it and your brain just starts grinding, right? And you're just grinding on all the possibilities—good, bad, ugly, whatever could, whatever is going to happen in that in in that instance. And your brain, like you said, Brian, it, it, you we create stories about the scenario. Oh my gosh, the worst case is going to happen. Oh, it's never it's never going to happen. It's never going to work out. And um, that undermines everything we do. And it's it's completely human nature. One thing to think about is that as human beings, we as storytellers have been we've been telling stories for what 10,000, 14,000 years. I mean, I, who knows exactly? But our brains have evolved, and there's there's an incredible brain science behind storytelling. And Brian, you, you probably know some of the terms, some of the technology or terminology. But one of the one of the most interesting and sort of the top level. Uh, Ish uh, ideas uh, is narrative transport. Are you familiar with the term narrative transport? So for your listeners or viewers, narrative transport is when you are transported by a story or a narrative into a world, a land, uh, something that is most of the time fiction, um, but you end up going to that place with the storyteller. Now, when I'm reading one of my favorite books, or I'm watching a, a movie that's incredibly compelling, or a TV show, uh, everything falls away. I, I don't hear the timer that's going off, uh, it's buzzing, and my pizza's burning in the oven. There's someone at the door, and they're knocking because they have a delivery, and I don't I don't react to any of it. In fact, I don't hear any of it because I'm in I'm in this story. I've been transported to the world of Narnia, or or uh, or uh, I, I love uh, Ken Follett's book, Pillars of the Earth. It's a great book about cathedral building. And when I read that book, I just, I'm back in the 12th and 13th centuries with the, with the cathedral builders. And so ultimately as storytellers, that's what we're attempting to do is transport our audience to a place where they're not thinking about, oh, I got, I got that meeting coming up or I've got to return that call or text or email when, when we succeed in the stories that we're telling, then everything falls away. And and the focus and the connection is through that story. The way I sometimes explain that to my client
1: is, um, through a neuroscience lens, the brain can't tell the difference between that story you're describing and the lived event. So it is actually as if you are there. And, and that's why when we tell ourselves these, this is too tough, um, I'm gonna have a lousy meeting, whatever that story is in the moment,
0: as far as our brain is concerned, that's real. Right, it is, it really is. And and what you just explained, uh, actually, uh, I believe one term for it is neurocoupling. Because when, when a, a speaker or a storyteller is speaking or telling a story to an audience. And now, Brian, an audience can be a person of one, right? You and I go out to lunch and you say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And I, and I tell you a story about whatever trip I had or whatever you know, a ball game I went to. And, and so an audience can be one person or it can be an audience of two or three, 400 people uh, in an auditorium. But again, the goal is is creating a shared experience between for the speaker, between them and the audience and getting that connection point. And very often that connection point is accomplished through emotion. And when I say emotion, I don't mean, you know, crying. Sure, crying is an emotion, but you don't have to be emotional to have an emotion. Uh, an emotion can be uh, humor, laughter, you know, joy, um, as well as sadness or grief or, or, uh, or, or feelings of guilt. And so ultimately, We're connecting through an emotion that, uh, like you said, is is a a through line from the storyteller through to the audience, creating that connection. And so again, for me,
1: that means a story isn't an intellectual exercise. It is head, heart, and gut. Yes. Yes. It engages our head, it engages our heart, it engages our gut, um, it taps into whatever are the emotions that that story is centered around it at that moment. So, Exactly, exactly. One of the ways that I use story, Richard, is um, with people who want to make some big change in their lives. It might be a career change. It might be the, you know, I'm, I'm starting a relationship, I'm starting a business, I'm starting um, or, or I'm ending a relationship, what, whatever it is. Um, and, and I use sort of a, a Brian Gorman version, if you will, of the hero's journey. Um, where I begin that is working with my client to create a story, not about the future, because that's again, that's a head story you know, in five years, I'm going to retire and move to Costa Rica. It's going to be hard because my husband and I, or my wife and I, or my partner and I, whatever, it's a second marriage. We have to sell two houses. We have to learn Spanish. Our kids and grandkids are here. We got to... That, that's all up in the head. And and that's probably going to end up with, why don't we move to Florida? <laughs> right, exactly. And And... This is a real-life story, actually, um, that that I'm giving right now. That client said, her her story began, I can't believe we did this. We woke up this morning in our bed in Costa Rica. The ocean breeze is blowing through the windows. I can hear the chatter of Spanish down in the street. We had to sell two houses in the middle of the housing crisis. We had to learn Spanish. We had to figure out how to keep in touch with our family. We're here. And again, when we go back to the neuroscience on this, Richard, and, and the fact that our brain can't tell the difference between story and reality, that story actually begins to build new neural networks So, the, and because our brain thinks it's real. So when we run into those obstacles, you know, our, our unconscious is saying, wait a minute, there's a way to get through this over this under this around this because i know what it's like on the other side yes and and so creating our stories being intentional about our stories i think is so so important and yet it's something that we're not taught
0: no no and and you know it, it's so interesting because i <clears throat> i consult I, I work with uh, entrepreneurs and startups, uh, ongoing businesses, and I actually do a lot of work at, at schools, colleges, and, and also at the graduate level. And very, very often, I have people say to me, oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm not a very good storyteller. And then, of course, I have certain ways of helping tee up, helping them tee up stories and prop stories. and and we find out that no in fact they're amazing storytellers uh in fact one of the uh one of the breakout sessions i i do in uh in a number of my workshops what i do is i i have a technical description and uh the the main one that i normally read is a technical description of beethoven's fifth symphony and uh uh so i i, I say okay going you know, to read this. this is like 50 words right it's very short uh, this is a symphony, uh, large symphony for in four parts. The first part is a scherzo in A flat minor, and the second part has a repetitive motif, that, and everyone sort of you know their eyes <clears throat> their eyes glaze over, and they sort of start to fall asleep. And I say, all right, everyone, I've got, and I finish it. I say, I've got a free ticket tonight to go see this. This is playing in town, and uh, who wants to go see it with me? Crickets. And then I say, well, why? What's what's going on? You get. No one wants to go see this symphony. They say, it's too boring. And I say, well, what, what can we do to, to liven it up? Well, you could use some words that we understand. And so then I, I, I read a version that I've written that's an experiential version. And I start off with how I'm sitting in the sitting in the hall, and the orchestra starts, and they play four notes. Bum, 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 bum. And then they play them again. It repeats. And then it goes into this light airy mode. Da, 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 and, and then I finished with, and the, there was a standing ovation from the audience of two minutes. For, and at the end, I said, okay, then who wants to go? And everyone raises their hand, of course. because And I say well, what's the difference? And they, they say, well, I felt like I was with you in the second description. And Brian, you did the same exact thing when you were describing this couple's first morning in Costa Rica. You used some devices, some storytelling techniques, right? You said... We can hear the birds chirp, we can smell the smell the coffee wafting up. We can hear the chatter of Spanish down on the street in the market. We all of a sudden I feel like I'm there because you're helping me visualize. Again, you're we're coupling together. <clears throat> you're helping me visualize what it's like to wake up this first morning in Costa Rica, as opposed to just saying, <clears throat> Well, we woke up and the degree it was it was. 25 degrees Celsius, which you know automatically you have to convert. <laughs> it's you know it, 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 talking sort of in the abstract, right? So I, I work with a lot of folks who are tech folks, and and we really work hard to figure out ways to emphasize the experience of what they're creating or what they're selling or what they're what they're you know raising funding for, because ultimately you can create the best, you know, it's sort of the you know marketing the mousetrap. You can create the best mousetrap in the world, but if no one knows about it, well, you can create the most amazing app or program in the world, but if people can't understand what it does and why it does that, then they're not gonna be interested. And, and very often, and, and this goes back to what you were talking about, working with clients and talking about the story, very often the founder's story is really incredible. If you dig, dig deep and find out, well, what what made you want to create whatever you created, and what was it about uh, the first four or five or ten attempts that didn't work that you were able to overcome? That story really helps folks understand what the whole business is all about, and it, and it's not just for the end user. Those stories are so important in an organization. For helping the employees and the teams, the marketing team understand what R and D does. R and D understand what sales does, and the stories that come from the field, from the sales reps, can help influence R and D in terms of altering a product to fit how the how the folks are using it out in the field. So, story is just such an amazing way to communicate. Our brains, after the ten to fourteen thousand years, are really wired to understand story and like you said we 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 tell ourselves these stories at all the time it's not just uh when we're verbal or visual uh because i talk with my hands a lot uh it's it's not only that time when the stories come out it's 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 almost constantly unfortunately (laughs) as you began to describe that
1: experiential uh setup that you do around the symphony It reminded me that stories aren't always told in words either. And when I'm working with clients about creating their story from the future, I say, write it in your language. And that may be English or it might be Spanish or whatever, but it might be dance, it might be music, it might be poetry, it might be a, a a drawing or a painting or whatever. Um, there are so many ways that we can tell our stories. Oh, absolutely! And yeah, you no, know, your work in television and in theater is not just about creating words. It's not no. It's not about hardly. stringing words into quote a story. Um, could you share with us? some of the things that you have to think about as you are creating a story that makes it that story that takes me away from the pizza in the oven.
0: Well, really, it, it, it starts with why the story needs to exist or why the story exists. And that goes back to us humans as individuals. So every story, well, I should say, every good story needs a point. Uh, you know, it, it needs a message. I mean, a story can be as simple as just entertainment. You know, I mean, uh, how, how often do we say, I'm just gonna you know go watch some Linus TV or a feel good movie or a summer book. We all know what that means. I'm just going to lie on the beach and read a book that, you know, whether it's Tom Clancy or whatever it is, it's it's just going to be fun, right? But then there are other times when we're accessing stories, whether we're telling or we're listening or, or reading, watching for some sort of connection to philosophy, religion, a sense of place, a sense of being, a sense of purpose. And so one of the first things that we need to do is when we're telling a story, and again, if you and I go out to lunch and you say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? My story may just come off the cuff. Uh, But if I'm going to be using a story for work, uh, if I'm running a team, if I'm talking to a group of folks, I first need to think about who I'm speaking to or speaking with and the reason that I'm speaking to those folks. For instance, if I'm if I'm managing a team, I need to come up with a story that if I'm trying to bring them together to solve a problem or you know an issue, I want to bring them together with a story. I may use a story about when I first started out in the business and how I overcame an issue, a problem, a challenge that gives them a sense of how I work, how I approach things. Uh, and, and and can distill in my team how we want to collectively approach that issue that we're working on. So at, the, at its very foundation, you need to know who your audience is and really why you're telling the story. But then it becomes a story that it needs specifics. It needs details. It needs embellishment. And those come out of our life experience. And that's one of the beauties of the human being and the human spirit is that we are all individuals, right? I mean, I could, I could name four kids that I went to elementary school with. We grew up in the same neighborhood until a certain point, but there are certain things that were very similar, but there are other things that based on our family or based on uh, our experiences in high school and college, we diverged from that similarity. And our experience is that there's the age-old nature-nurture question, you know, is, is, it, is it about genetics or is it about your environment? And it's truly a combination of both. You know, they've done studies with twins and to figure out, you know, let's put one in this household, one in, the, one in a rich household, one in a poor house, and see how they grow up and how they're different and how they're the same. But ultimately, we are all individuals. And through story, that's where our creativity and their individuality comes through. And so if I said to you, okay, you're going to teach a seminar on how to use story, you're going to approach it from a totally different viewpoint and vantage point than I am because we have a different different realm of experience. So my version of it is going to come from my communication in TV projects, film projects, and how I've seen story used in a professional way on 24 and Grey's Anatomy, uh, Grey's Anatomy, point, they're up to 22 seasons, I think now. Those stories have expanded exponentially over those seasons, and so when I when I dig deep for the info or the information details that I'm going to put in to my story, those are coming out of my personal experience, and I think that is what really informs. The audience within the story, you know, you, you can uh, people take a book and they get they get get uh, the best uh, they get an Oscar for best adaptation, and uh, you know because they adapted the book and a different writer would have adapted that book in a totally different way, and so really it's it's getting our individualism to shine through the stories that is able to help make that connection. And, and again, that goes back, the connection goes back to who our audience is and how we can construct a story knowing all about the brain science and knowing all about the subject matter that we can then interest the folks that we're talking to. If you're talking to accounts, you don't wanna talk, uh, you know, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a certain uh, phraseology, there's a certain lexicon that they're gonna understand as opposed to if you're talking to musicians totally different, uh, totally different audience and you need to treat, treat them differently in your approach. Stories don't have to be hour long
1: episodes. Um, I was working with a a client about a year or so ago who among his responsibility was, is, is a manufacturing facility. And he came in one day to our coaching session and he said, I really need your help. He said, I just can't get people to pay attention to safety briefings. And he said, I know how important they are. I grew up without a grandfather because he was killed in an industrial accident where they didn't have safety precautions in place. That was a story. Had he ever told them that? He had never told them that. Right, but exactly. two or three sentences. Who is the audience? It's those people whose lives are at risk in the jobs that they do every day. It's those right. people who have to pay attention to the safety briefing. What is the message? What is the heart of the message? The heart of the message is... Your kids could grow up without a father or a mother. Their kids could grow up without a grandfather or a grandmother because you weren't
0: paying attention to safety. Right, exactly. And and, and Brian, you're so right that a story doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be long and evolved. Have you ever heard of Hemingway's six word story? I think I have and I don't remember it. Okay. So again, this is one of my I, I you know, I it, you know how difficult it is when you're when you're doing a workshop or a seminar and you've only got so many hours and you've got so much to talk about and I've tried to come up with short but sweet and deep dive little uh, breakout sessions that utilize story but we're dealing with sort of minute stories so my my uh, technical versus experiential breakout session is one and then I have what I call the, the Hemingway six word story so Hemingway, and this is supposedly attributed to him. I don't know if he in fact wrote this, but it's a story that goes, baby shoes for sale, never worn. Six words. And as you hear it, you think baby shoes for sale and you imagine these baby shoes and, you know, these title baby shoes and, and then never worn. And then you alter that and say, okay, then there's n- there's no scuff marks and they're, they, they're, the laces are still tied exactly as they were. Maybe even the price, original price tag or tag is and on there. And why
1: weren't they Things worn? Exactly. And why weren't they worn? What happened? What
0: happened? I mean, was it as simple as the, the baby just didn't like wearing shoes and he or she grew up without wearing shoes for the first couple of years? Or is it as intense as the couple yeah. lost the baby? And and. Within six words, our brains—and again, our brains are always drawn to creating story. Our brains work to create a story within the parameters of those six words. And again, Brian, it's based on our personal experience. It's based on how we grew up and where we are in the world. And and, and if we knew someone whose child died when when they were a neighbor, right? It, it's all informed by what we've lived through and lived. And so what I do is, as a precursor to, the, to working on the story, I tee it up with, I, I have everyone write down a sense memory from their childhood. So in other words, you know, come up with with something that you remember, a smell, a taste, a, a sound, a sight, you know, and everyone comes up with something like, you know, oh, my, my mom used to bake, uh, you know, pumpkin bread, and and I would love the smell, or one, one woman came up with, my mom used to rub my forehead, right? And And so then... As, as then I tell the six word story and then I have folks implement their own six word story based on their sense of memory. Because, and again, Brian, you know this just as well as I do, when you put someone on the spot, if you say to someone, create a six word story, well, I mean, they'll spend 10 minutes or 15 minutes just trying to figure out what the, what the story is gonna be about. It's hard without a foundation, without a basis. So I, I tee it up by, by using the sense. So what, when they get the six-word story, then it's really simple. Because then all they have to do is just apply those six words to this sense memory. And oh my gosh, the, the emotion and intensity. And, and, and also, I have to say, humor sometimes, right? Because not all stories have to be, you know, baby shoes for sale, uh, never worn. It doesn't have to be a dramatic story. Because I don't say that. I don't say hey, it has to be dramatic. It can be humorous. It can be joyful. Um, but some of the most amazing stories. One one participant told a story about the only time that he and his father ever hugged, in six words. And the woman who I told you about rubbed forehead. She, uh, I can't remember the words, but it was my mom rubbed my forehead when I was anxious or nervous. And so, it, it's sort of just like the six-word story from Hemingway. It starts off with just. Set in the scene, right? Baby shoes for sale. Hey, if it was only a forward story, it'd be like, okay, whoop-de-doo, right? There's some baby shoes for sale. What's going on here? But never worn is the is the coda that, that gives us that sort of, ooh, wow, what happened there, right? And so ultimately people are learning again that a short a, a story can be incredibly short, but incredibly effective. Uh so I I I love how you you were talking about you know it doesn't have to be a long involved hour-long tv show it could it can be as as few as six words
1: unfortunately we're going to have to wrap up here um oh <laughs> okay <laughs> because i think we could both tell stories for hours uh yes but i think there are some really important lessons for those of our listeners and and this is pretty much all of our listeners who are in business in some way or another, whether they're a CEO or a C-suite executive or a frontline manager, anything in between, or even frontline workers. Um, I'd like to pull some of them out and just put them back out there for a moment and then ask you to add any others. Uh, The first that I want to put out there is, Our brain is a story processor. Use stories to connect to the people that you're communicating with. As you you, uh, said a few minutes ago, they don't have to be long and involved. They do have to have an intent, a focus on the audience, and a connection with emotion. Not just intellect. What are some of the other key takeaways that you would add?
0: Well, Brian, before you you mentioned that a story doesn't just have to be verbal, and if we just take a, a couple seconds and explore that, uh, I mean that that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about my dad's stories is his stories weren't just words. He would he would show me characters and, and physicalities of the characters in the jokes that he was telling. There were some sound effects and fun voices. And, and so even, I mean, you'd say a voice is verbal, right? But the way you say something, the accent, the, 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 the way you uh, tenor your voice is, or the inflection is, is important in some ways, just as important as the, uh, as the words you're saying. I mean, if you think about how we communicate with young children, babies, uh, they don't understand a thing we're saying, uh, but, but we, we have a way of communicating it with a tone of voice that clues them in to what we're saying, even though they can't understand the actual words. Richard Rosser,
1: this is your story. This is my story. It's every listener's story. Write your story, sing your story, dance your story, tell your story, and live into your story. Thank you so much for this conversation. Absolutely,
0: Brian. It's been my pleasure.